Well, welcome to our final week in this series that we've been doing in the book of Jonah. And uh, man, if you've been with us throughout this, this book together, what an incredible, incredible book of the Bible uh, the book of Jonah has been. And I really hope that if you've been with us for this whole series, uh, that this book, uh, the Old Testament book of Jonah, has been as impactful to you as it has been to me. And I got to tell you, man, this book... What a powerful book um, in the Bible, the book of Jonah. And as powerful as it is, quite honestly, if you've been here for this series, it's also kind of a painful book, isn't it? And as we've been going through this series, what Jonah does is it unearths different attitudes in our heart, and it kind of serves as a mirror, and it shows us some stuff in ourselves that maybe isn't so pretty to look at and stuff like that. And so it's been an awesome series. It's been a powerful series, but it also um, has been a painful series. And I mean painful in all the right ways, right? It's been painful in all the right ways. And let me just say as well that if you are just joining us this morning in this series, if it's your first time here, like Clark said, man, thanks so much for being here. And we are so glad that you're able to come and join us. But we are finishing a series in the book of Jonah today. And so if you would like to catch up on this series, and I'd encourage you to do that. Um, if you were to go to our website, there's some information in the program on that. Uh, you will find videos, you will find our podcast, you'll find information about our app. And all of that stuff is for free and it's for you. And it's ways that you can kind of connect and, uh, into the Jonah series. But like I said, today we're closing this series out. We're finishing it. And so uh, to do that, why don't you grab your Bibles with me and let's get right to it. Let's go to Jonah chapter 4. So go ahead and grab your Bibles if you got them. Let's go ahead and flip to Jonah chapter 4. And uh, as always, if you did not bring a Bible with you here this morning, that's not a problem. should be some Bibles there in front of you in those chairs or underneath you. And so you can go ahead and turn to page 646 in those Bibles that we have provided You'll find Jonah chapter 4. Also, if you are a guest this morning and you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and take one of ours, all right? Make it a gift. You can go ahead and have that. We think it's important that you have a Bible. So Jonah chapter 4, go ahead and flip there if you would. That'd be great. Um, As you're flipping there, I don't know how many of you would say that you're a dog person or that you come from a family of dog people. Uh, I come from a family of dog people, all right? And when I say I come from a family of dog people, it's probably an understatement. It's more like capital D dog people. My entire extended family is this way. They love dogs. Just to give you like a glimpse of our insanity, um, during the holidays, like Christmas and stuff, we don't just exchange gifts for each other and for the children, but oftentimes they exchange gifts for the dogs. And so the dogs get presents under the tree. So this is just a small glimpse into the canine insanity that happens in my family. And like I said, it's through my extended family as well. And one of the things I think is so interesting is some of the dog names throughout the, eight, throughout the years um, in, my, in my family. And so some of the dog names are names that you would expect, right? Kind of standard dog names. So there's Rex, for example, or Spike, uh, Tank, Vader. These are some of the dog's names. I always wanted to get a dog and name it Snowpants. I thought that would be the best name for a dog. Or just name a dog a sound effect. I always want to do that. Just name your dog, you know, come <laughs> I don't know, I always wanted to do that. But, uh, but what, makes, what I think is interesting is that there's another set of dogs that are in my family. I don't know if they're in my family, but my family owns them, um, that have strangely human names. And so, for example, in my family, uh, there's a dog named Nicholas, whose name was Nicholas. There's another dog right now named Emma. And, and then my favorite, there's a dog that my parents have right now, and her name is Mary, which I always just thought was so funny because it seems so human to me, this dog's name is Mary. So anyway, a couple years ago, the reason I tell you that is because a couple years ago, my wife um, was picking our boys up, our two, our two small boys from my parents' house. My parents had watched the kids overnight. My wife went to pick them up. I, I couldn't go with her because I was working. And so anyway, later on that night, I was, we were kind of catching up on the day. And I asked her, I said, so how are my parents doing? You know? And she said, oh, they're doing pretty good. And we kind of caught up on that. 
And I said, uh, and somehow, I don't remember how exactly, but we started to get on the conversation of the dogs. So we started talking about the dogs and our, my family and the insanity of the dog thing within my family. And at one point, my wife goes, uh, Jess goes, um, she goes, hey, I want to tell you, by the way. She goes, uh, I was talking to your parents, and, and we started to get on the conversation about Mary. And I was like, oh, yeah? She said, yeah. She said, I guess right now the family is really concerned about Mary. And I was like, Really? And she was like, yeah. And I said, well, what are they concerned about? And she said, well, you know how Mary uh, is kind of anxious? And I was like, well, yeah, because Mary, Mary's kind of an anxious dog. She, she's kind of skittish, and she jumps real easily. She's like, you know, you know how Mary's kind of anxious? Like, yeah. She goes, well, I guess the family's saying that the anxiety is, like, reaching an all-time high. And now she's starting to show signs of, like, major depression, and the family's, like, really, really concerned about it. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah. I was like, Mary? She's like, Yeah. And I was like, and it's noticeable? And she's like, absolutely. I was like, wow. And she goes, yeah, the family's really concerned. And she said, in fact, the family's talking about taking her to the doctor and maybe seeing if, if they could run some tests or something. And they're thinking that maybe she can get prescribed something because there might be a mental disorder. And I started to, I started to chuckle. I was like, what? <laughs> what? You know? And she's like, why is that funny? And I was like, well, I don't know seems kind of excessive, doesn't it? Like, you know, like to spend all that money on Mary, you know, I don't seem like it's kind of a waste of money. And Jess goes, she goes, well, that, that's kind of an insensitive thing to say, don't you think? And I was like, what is happening right now? <laughs> and then she goes, she goes, in fact, just the other week, I was, I, I was going around, Mary was showing me around the house. And she said, and Mary did some things and she said some things that made me really, really concerned for her. And I was like, wait a minute. So Mary the dog showed you around the house and she did some things and said some things that made you concerned for her mental health. And Jess looked at me and she goes, what in the world are you talking about? And I said, I don't even know. You know, I said, what are you talking about? And then she goes, no, no, Mary the person, right? And we came to realize that we have this, this, this person in our life who we love mutually named Mary. And Jess was talking about Mary the person and this entire time, I thought she was talking about Mary the dog. And so we relived this whole, and then so after we realized what had happened, we just started laughing because like, oh my gosh, and we relived the whole conversation. And she's like, oh, I don't care about Mary the dog, you know, and we were just kind of laughing about the whole thing. Now, why do I, why do I tell you that story? Here's why I tell you that story. Uh, because isn't it true that when you have two people that are on two different pages that misunderstand each other, that they interpret things very, 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 very differently, right? Jess and I were on two entirely different pages. And even though we were having the same conversation, we interpreted the details of that conversation very different. And so when, when I was really, uh, when I thought things were funny, uh, Jess thought I was being a jerk, right? And when Jess was really concerned, I was extremely confused. And, and the reason was, wasn't because we weren't having the same conversation. It's because we were on two different pages. We were talking about two different things. And, and what we're going to find today when we go to Jonah chapter 4 is we're going to find that Jonah and God are on two entirely different pages, Two entirely different pages. And this has been true all throughout the book of Jonah. But Jonah chapter 4 is going to reveal to us that God and Jonah, even though they're experiencing the same situation, that they view it from two different vantage points and they interpret it differently. So what we're going to find in Jonah is that where God is extremely happy and overjoyed, Jonah is furious and he is angry. And where Jonah is extremely happy, God is like, I don't understand you, Jonah. And the reason is because 
Jonah has not yet understood God's heart. Jonah has been obedient to God. Jonah has spent his life learning about God and following God. But when we get to Jonah chapter 4, we come to realize he has entirely misunderstood the heart of God. And this is why this is important to you and I. Okay, it's not just about Jonah. This book is about us. And this is why this is so important. Because I think it's entirely possible that for those of us who are Christians, now again, I understand that not everyone in this room is a Christian. I know that some of you are still investigating that and you're trying to figure that out and that's completely okay. But for those of us who are Christians, I think it is entirely possible that you may have been spending your life learning about God, following God, even being obedient to the things the Bible says. You may have accepted the forgiveness of God. You may believe the things that Jesus said, but it is entirely possible that maybe you have misunderstood the heart of God. And it is entirely possible that maybe our hearts are out of alignment with the heart of God. And here's the thing. When that's the case, when our hearts are out of alignment with God, our lives will always be frustrating. There will always be a misunderstanding and a miscommunication. Just like with my wife and I, there's always going to be a sense of, man, I don't understand why God does the things that he does. And I don't, I'm frustrated and I'm confused and I just don't, and that's all going to happen if our hearts are out of alignment with God. So the question is this then, how do we know if our hearts are out of alignment with God's heart? And then how do we fix it if they are? See, this is where Jonah chapter 4 is going to help us. This is what we're going to see in Jonah chapter 4. What I want you to pay attention to in particular today is I want you to pay attention to the emotions of Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4 is an incredibly emotional book. And what I mean by that is this is like an emotional roller coaster. And you're going to watch Jonah go up and down and up and down. You're going to watch Jonah go from despair and anger to happiness and elation. And then you're going to watch him go from excitement and happiness back to despair and frustration. And you're going to watch him go to places where he's full of anguish. All of that's going to happen in this book. And so I want you, what I want you to do today in this chapter is I want you to pay attention to the emotions of Jonah and I want you to pay attention to the emotions of God because it's going to show us a little bit about the heart. All right, so we're going to see that today. So we're going to jump in at chapter four. Let me just do a quick recap. We're going to dive in at, at verse six because last week that's where we left off. But basically, here's what's going on. Quick recap if you've missed this series. Basically, in Jonah, God calls Jonah at the beginning of the book. He says, Jonah, I want you to go preach to the Ninevites. The Ninevites were Jonah's greatest enemy. Jonah, rather than listening to God, gets up, goes 180 degrees in the opposite direction. He runs from God. He says, God, I'm not going to do the thing that you said that you want me to do. And then we see that God, rather than giving up on Jonah or rather than killing Jonah, instead what God does is he gives grace to Jonah and he pursues Jonah. And then he saves Jonah and he gives him a second chance. The Bible says that Jonah then goes into Nineveh. He, he, he listens to God. He obeys God. And he goes into Nineveh, this terrible, evil city full of the most wicked people imaginable in that time. We talked about this in the series. And Jonah goes into this major city. And in a five Hebrew word sermon, he preaches this quick sermon. And the entire city breaks into revival. They all repent from their sin. They cry out to God. And the whole city is overturned, Right? And they all turn to God. And you would think that for Jonah, this would be the happiest moment of his life. He's just preached to this great city. The entire city has turned from their sin. God has shown them grace and he has forgiven their sin. And there's a revival that takes place. And you would think for Jonah, he would be totally excited about this. But last week, if you were here, we looked at the first five verses of Jonah chapter four. And we said the surprising thing is that Jonah wasn't happy at all. Jonah was mad. 
Jonah was extremely angry that God forgave these people. Jonah was extremely angry that God was compassionate. He said, God, I didn't want you to forgive these people. I wanted you to kill these people. And he was mad. And then the Bible says that Jonah huffs off, pouty, goes up to some high place on a hill, and he sits down in a little shelter of his own self-righteousness that he makes, and he looks down at the city, and he waits to see if maybe, just maybe, God will change his mind, and he will destroy the Ninevites who Jonah hates. And so that's where we left Jonah last week. Jonah's pouty, Jonah's angry, Jonah's far off at a distance, looking down at the city, hoping that God will destroy them. And what God does next is going to seem really bizarre, but today I hope you see, man, this is incredibly brilliant. I want you to see what God does. Look at verse 6 with me. We'll, we'll jump in right there. Verse 6. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant, and he made it grow over up Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah, look at this, was very happy about the plant. So remember I told you that the book of, uh, the book of Jonah chapter 4 is a very emotional chapter. We're going to see a lot of emotions with Jonah. Here's the first one I want you to notice. First emotion I want you to notice is that Jonah is happy. Jonah is very happy right now. So, so here's what happens again. Jonah's up on a hill. He's sitting up here in his self-righteousness. He is hoping that God will destroy the city of Nineveh because he hates these people. God has shown grace to these people, but Jonah's mad about it. So he's sitting there looking at him. And so God does something kind of peculiar. And the Bible says that he causes this vine to grow up over Jonah. And I don't know how God did that. It must have been like miracle grow plant or something. But this leafy plant grows up over Jonah and it provides shade for him. Now remember, the, the place that Jonah is, he's in modern day Iraq. That's where Nineveh is. And so he's in the desert. The average temperature in that region of the world is 110 degrees. And so when God provides this plant, this would have been like shade for Jonah. And so Jonah's like, oh my gosh, this, this, I love this plant. And the Bible tells us Jonah's emotions. And what's Jonah's emotions? He's happy. He's happy. But, but listen, happy is an understatement. Because if you look at it in the original language, some of your translations say Jonah was extremely happy. And that's actually probably a better translation. Because when you look at it in the, in the Hebrew, the idea is that Jonah is elated. Jonah is deliriously happy. He is overjoyed about this vine, right? He's like, oh, I love this vine. I love it, right? He's singing that song, because I'm happy, you know. No, 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 no. He's singing that whole thing. He's like, I love this vine. I love it. I'm so happy. I love this thing. Now, here's the crazy thing about that, all right? Jonah's happy about the vine, and that's great. But this is the first and only time in the entire book that Jonah's happy about anything. This whole book, the book of Jonah, Jonah has been mad at God. He has been um, angry with God. He has been despairing. He has cried out to God. He's been grateful. We've even seen Jonah grateful in chapter 2. Uh, Jonah, but every step of the way, what you see is that Jonah is obedient to God, but he does so begrudgingly. He's never happy. This is the first time in the book that we see that Jonah is happy about anything. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you are with us last week, you might remember that in chapter 4, verse 1, it said that when God forgave the Ninevites, when God showed grace to the Ninevites, Jonah was extremely angry, extremely angry. And now he's extremely happy. And you see, what, what, what you see is there's a parallel here. God loves to show grace, is what the Bible says. God delights in showing grace. God loves when we turn from our sin and we turn to him. That gives him great joy. But what gave God great joy Jonah was angry about. And now God gives Jonah a vine and Jonah's 
incredibly excited. God gives Jonah this little vine, this thing that eases his discomfort, that adds convenience and luxury to his life, this little thing that makes his life just a little bit easier. And Jonah's so happy about the vine. He's mad that, that God forgives all of these people, but he's happy about this leafy little plant. And, and listen, here, here's the thing. I told you that for you and I, and also with Jonah, that sometimes our hearts are on a different page than God. Sometimes our hearts are out of alignment with God's. And you want to know how your heart is out of alignment with God? Here's a simple test we see in Jonah. Look at what makes you happy. What makes you happy? What makes God happy? Do those things align at all? So because here's the thing that I know about every single one of us, and myself included, is that every single one of us in this room, we all have leafy plants. We all have these, these little plants in our life that bring convenience and luxury, make our life a little bit easier, and make our lives a little more comfortable. We all have those things. We all have leafy plants. We all have them, right? You're like, well, can you give me some example of leafy plants? Well, sure, I'll give you a few. I'm sure you can think of them, right? I'll give you a few. One of my leafy plants is my phone. I love my phone. My phone is a little thing that makes my life a little bit easier, makes my life a little more convenient, right? And you guys are probably the same way. Like, I love my phone. Love my phone. I got my phone with me. I can look, I check my Instagram. I can check my Facebook. I can look at my, you know, you know I can watch videos on my phone. Right? I can do, I can, you know, I can get by these little, I got my apps. I got my stuff. I got my phone. I love my phone. I got my music on my phone. Right? I love my little phone. I love my phone. Right? And if my phone runs out of battery, oh, dear God, right? My phone. I love my, that's my leafy plant, right? I love my little phone. And you know what I like even more than my phone? I like a new phone. Love new phones. And if I ever hear that Apple is releasing a new product, man, I'm researching that. I'll dream about it. I'm thinking, oh, man, I got to find out what's the camera like. What are the specs going to be? I love it. Love it. Take a lot of joy in my phone, right? It's a leafy little plant, right? Another leafy plant for you, maybe it's your car, right? You're like, oh, I love my car, man. It just brings comfort to my life. It's got the heated seats. I love the heated seats. They're awesome, especially on a morning like this when the snow is out. I love my heated seats, the comfort to, to my backside. I love it, right? love my, 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 my little car. For some of us, it's our house. We love our house. The luxuries of, man, it's, just, it's, my, it's comfortable. I like it. It adds convenience to my life. I dream about redecorating rooms. I'll spend time at work looking at Pinterest when I can to see about different color schemes and those type of things. love that. For some of you, it's that. For some of you, it's the flat screen TV with ESPN. You're like, I don't need anything else. That's all I need. I could live in a cave. You just give me a flat screen, give me ESPN, and I got what I need, right? And that's my leafy plant. It brings me joy. When I'm at work, I'm thinking about that all day. Can't wait to get home and get to my flat screen. For some of you guys, it's that morning cup of coffee at Starbucks, right? You're like, oh, I, I wake up. The first thing I think about is my mocha frappa, cappa latte, chino, whatever it is, you know? Got to go to Starbucks and get that. Love my leafy plant, right? Brings comfort to my life. Brings a little joy to my life. And we're exceedingly happy about the leafy plant. Now, here's the thing about that, all right? And, and I want you to hear me. Is it is not wrong at all to be happy about a leafy plant. In fact, we thank God for those things, right? We thank God, thank you for this, this cup of God. Thank you for this delicious meal. God, thank you for, for this flat screen. God, thank you for this mode of transportation. God, thank you for the delight that I take in music. God, thank you for And look, here's the thing. We should be happy about those things. And we should thank God for those things. You know, the Bible says that Christians, that we should be people who thank God in everything. And so even in the small things, God, thank you. We should take delight in, in, in even the simple things that, that we find thankfulness in life for, whether it be a, a, a really, really tasty hamburger. We should praise God for that, right? Or if you're a vegetarian, a veggie burger or whatever it might be, we should thank God for the leafy plants. But listen, here, here's the problem. 
The problem with Jonah is not that he's happy about the leafy plant. The problem with Jonah is that's the only thing that he's happy about. There is nothing else that brings joy to Jonah's heart except for convenience and comfort in this little plant. Meanwhile, an entire city of people was about to perish and God forgave them. God delighted in showing them grace and Jonah took no joy in that. In fact, Jonah was mad about that. See, the problem wasn't that Jonah was happy about the leafy plant. The problem is that's the only thing that Jonah was happy about. And listen, for you and I, it's the same thing. You want to see a litmus test of if your heart is on the same page as God's heart, what makes you happy? Because it's, it's okay to, to find happiness in the leafy plants. But if that's the only thing that you find joy in, if that's the ultimate thing that you find happiness in, well, it's a clear sign that you're out of line with God's heart because what makes God happy? Well, like I said, you want to know what makes God happy? He loves showing grace to people who need it. He loves it when people who are far from him and have no hope have, uh, get, have the gospel brought to them in a loving way and they turn and they accept Christ. That he, he takes such delight in that. Is that something that brings joy to your heart? God loves it when we forgive our enemies. Loves that. You love that? Does that bring you joy? Does that bring you delight? The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. See, see and, and what I'm saying is, if you want to know if, you're, if your heart's in line with God's heart, look at what makes him happy and look at what makes you happy. And is there alignment there? And for Jonah, what makes God happy makes Jonah angry. And what makes Jonah happy, God's like, I don't know, it's a, it's a plant. It's a leafy plant. That's all it is. It's just something that's going to bring convenience to your life. So what does God do? I love what God does next. God sees that Jonah loves the, the, the little plant, his leafy plant. And so here's what God does next. God destroys it. So check this out. Look at verse 7. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. And the worm chewed the plant so that it withered. All right, I love this. Let's just pause there for a second. I love this little worm. This little guy's like a ninja worm because apparently overnight he just devours this plant, right? Chops the thing down. But I want you to notice something, just a quick aside. If you were with us in this series, you might remember we said that the book of Jonah is a book of irony. That's, that's kind of the, the literary style of the book of Jonah. It's a satire. And so it has irony and exaggeration. And one of the points of irony that we see in this book is that everything in the book of Jonah obeys God but Jonah. You notice this? Everything in the book of Jonah listens to God. The, the fish listens to God. The wind listens to God. The pagan sailors listen to God. The Ninevites, the most evil people on the face of the planet, listen to God. The, the worm listens to God. The plant listens to God. Everyone listens to God but Jonah, the servant of God. And it's intended to be ironic, right? And it kind of pulls it out and we can see that. So the Bible says God provides this little worm and overnight a little ninja worm comes and like destroys this plant, and so check out what happens. Look at verse 8. When the sun rose, uh, God provided a scorching wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. All right, so Jonah was happy. God chops down the plant. And now Jonah's like, I wish I was dead. Now, I want you just to notice one quick thing here. Just mention one thing. Do you notice Jonah loved the plant? All right, Jonah was happy about the plant, and God destroyed the plant. Now, I want you to parallel that with what just happened. God loved the Ninevites. God loves the Ninevites, and Jonah wanted God to destroy the Ninevites. See, I just want you to think about this for a minute, because now you're starting to see what God is doing. God is so masterful 
at, at getting into our hearts. And it's almost like God is looking at Jonah and he's saying, man, your heart is so different than my heart. And I care about things that you don't even care about. And Jonah, it seems like you don't care about anything but yourself. In fact, this entire book, Jonah has shown no concern for anything but for himself. And so God looks at him. He says, how can I get your heart to be like my heart? Because for those of us who follow Jesus and for those of us who are Christians, that's God's ultimate aim is that we would be like him, that our heart would look like his heart. So he looks at Jonah and he says, Jonah, your heart doesn't look anything like me. So how can I help invite your heart to be more like my heart? And he says, I got it how brilliant God is. He says, I'm going to find the one thing that you actually care about. And you care about that leafy plant. And God says, okay, that's good. There's one corner of your heart, Jonah, where there's compassion and when there's, when, where there's actually, you care and you love something. And God says, I can work with that. I can work with that. And so he, he, he lets the vine grow up and then he chops the vine down. And then Jonah's response after the vine is chopped down, he wants to die. And then look at this, look at verse uh, Verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 8, the second part of verse six, or verse 9, yeah. But God said to Jonah, he said, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Now, this question that God asked, by the way, is directly parallel to the question, if you were with us last week, in uh, chapter 4, verse 4, God did not destroy the Ninevites. He showed grace to them. Jonah was angry, and God looked at Jonah, and he said, do you have any right to be angry? And so now he asked the same question. Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the plant? Look at Jonah's response. It, he says, uh, do you, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I am so angry that I wish I was dead. Now, you've got to remember, I said this is an emotional book, and, and, and it's an emotional roller coaster, and we have seen that Jonah has been happy, but now I want you to notice there's another emotion here. Now Jonah's angry. Second emotion we're going to see in here, Jonah is angry. And again, angry is almost an understatement because he's beyond angry. He's infuriated. He is angry to the point of despair. Jonah is basically saying, I am so mad, I am so angry that I have lost all my will to live. I have no motivation to get out of bed. I can't go on like this anymore. I am so angry that I am completely and utterly devastated. He is so angry that he is pushed to the point of existential despair. He's like, I don't even know if life is worth living anymore. I don't even know if I can get out of bed anymore. I don't even know why I should keep going. God, just kill me. I'm just so mad about this whole thing. Now, again, like I said, you want to know if your heart is out of alignment with God's heart? One of the ways that you can do that is you can pay attention to what are you happy about. But here's another thing. Pay attention to what are you angry about? What makes you angry? What, what is it in your life that you have right now that if it was taken from you, it would push you to being infuriated with God and it would cause you to question your will to live? It would push you to the point of existential despair. God, I don't think I can keep going if this is the way that it's going to go. I can't find any motivation to get out of bed now that this thing is gone. What is that for you? Because I think for many of us, if we were really honest, if we looked deep into our hearts, that we have those things. So, for example, maybe for you, like Jonah, maybe it's comfort. Right? That's Jonah. Maybe you're like, God, if, 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 I, if, if you give me comfort, right, if I can just be comfortable if I can just, you know, if, if you can keep me healthy and without illness and, and, and you can make sure that I have a cushion around me in my life and keep a hedge of protection around me. It's like a spiritual thing that we say. Keep a hedge of protection. Keep me comfortable. If I have that, then I'm happy. But the moment that's taken away from me and I'm facing illness of some kind or, or, or the, 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 the lifestyle that I live is somehow compromised in some way, all of a sudden I find that I'm infuriated. 
God, how could you, how could you do this to me? How could you take that from me? And then we start to lose our will to live. I can't even get out of bed anymore. Life isn't even worth living if I don't have this anymore. What is it that's in your life that's like that? For some of us, it's comfort. For some of us, let's be honest, it's financial security. God, if you give me financial security, if I have financial security, I'm happy. If I have enough money in the retirement, if I have enough money in the savings, if I have all that I need, then I feel secure and I feel fine. But the moment that I lose my job or the moment that something happens where that is shaken in some way or that's compromised, all of a sudden I'm crying out to God. And I'm like, God, I'm so mad at you. How could you do that to me? How could you force me into this situation? And we start to be forced to a place of existential despair. If I don't have that, I don't even know what life is anymore. For some of us, it's the security of our families. God, I want my kids to be safe. I want my family to be safe. And so I just want to make sure that everyone is okay. And so we want, to, we want to make sure that we live in a safe and secure neighborhood. We want to make sure that we have the safest minivan possible. We want to make sure that we're in the safest school district. And we want to make sure that all of our kids wear helmets all the time. Right? And, and, and please, don't get me wrong. It's, it's a wonderful thing to want your kids to be safe. And, and, and to be a good parent means that we're trying to watch out for the safety of our kids. But for some of us, man, that thing right there, if that, if that is somehow in any way compromised, we become infuriated with God. God, how could you? You have one job to keep my family safe and now that something has happened and now that there's turbulence introduced into our household or something like that, God, I can't take it anymore. And, I, I, you know, and everything is fixed on that. For some of us, it's relationships, man. As long as, as long as I have that boyfriend or I have that girlfriend or as long as I have my, my marriage is in a healthy place, everything is fine and I'm happy. But the moment that's taken away or the moment that that's compromised in some way, I become a God, God, why are you doing this to me? I'm angry and I, I, I'm losing motivation to even get out of bed because I don't have that person in my life. And that's a, see, see, what Jonah chapter 4, and it could be anything, it could be anything. But what Jonah chapter 4 is doing, and this is so brilliant on God's part, what Jonah chapter 4 is doing is introducing us to a new category of God's grace. And here's the new category of God's grace. And I, we said that the book of Jonah is all about God's grace. God's grace sometimes comes in very unexpected forms. And here is one of the forms of God's grace we see in Jonah chapter 4. That sometimes, sometimes, God destroys our leafy plants. Sometimes, in God's grace not because he's a vindictive God, not because he hates you and wants to see you squirm, but because he loves you. Sometimes he removes leafy plants from your life, right? And, and some of you are like, well, why would God do that? Why would God purposely take something from me that makes me happy? I don't like that about God. Why would God do that? Listen, listen here's why God does that. It's not because God doesn't want you to be happy, it's because God wants you to have ultimate joy. He doesn't want you to have circumstantial happiness. He wants you to have ultimate joy. That's what God's after, right? And, and the reality is, is this. The reason that God sometimes cuts out our leafy plants is because you and I, sometimes we don't even know this is happening, is that oftentimes for those of us who are Christians, we say that we worship one God. That's what we say. I worship the true God. But in reality, if you look deeply into our heart, what we come to find out is that our hearts are really idol factories and that we really, down in there somewhere, we're actually worshiping sometimes two gods. We have a true God and then we have a functional God. And the functional God is anything that we put our hope or our security or our trust in. And if it was taken from us, it would push us to the point of existential despair. 
right? So, so let me explain what I'm talking about. I'll just give you an example. Let's take financial security, for example. So let's say you're a person. You say, I worship the true God. I worship the God of the Bible. I put my hope in Jesus. That's my, that's my claim. Okay, good. And then you're like, but, but functionally, I find my security and I find my, my sense of worth and I find my sense of joy in my financial security. Now, as long as the true God is giving you your functional God, everything is fine, right? There's no problem. But the moment that this is compromised or that this goes away, all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness, there was more than one God down there in my heart. And you say, God, how could you take that away from me? God, I'm so frustrated. And God would look at you and say, we well, see the, the truth is that that was your God. And the reason that God sometimes takes those things from us is because he knows that those false gods cannot bear the weight of our hope, and they're not intended to. And we will always live on the brink of emotional disaster as long as we put our hope in anything else but the true God, right? So sometimes God will destroy our leafy plants. Sometimes God, in his grace, will take away the things that sometimes make us happy. And again, I know that some of you are like, but I don't like that, man. So that's just the problem I have with God. I don't like that about God. I want a God who gives me the stuff that makes me happy. I want a God who's after my happiness and is gonna give me the things that makes me happy. Now listen, I would argue with you that if you had a God like that, that he would not love you, he would hate you. That's what I would argue. Because think about it for a minute. I think any parent in this room understands if you follow that logic, right, you understand that that is not a loving thing to do, to simply give your kids things that make them happy right? As a parent, I know this, right now I got, you guys, you guys have, some of you have older kids than I do, and you're more seasoned in your parenting. Right now I have a, a, a six-year-old boy, a five-year-old boy, and then we have an eight, eight-week-old daughter who has done no sin. She's perfect in every way. She's amazing. She's our princess, right? But the boys, on the other hand, um, one of the things about the boys I, I, I just realized in my parenting is that parenting for me is basically summarized in me taking things away from them to make them happy uh, making them angry and pushing them to the point of existential despair. That's parenting in a nutshell, right? That's a, that's, that's a daily occurrence in the life of the Lavigny home. So for example, uh, when we go to the store, every time we go to the store, my two boys, they always, always, always want to go right to the toy aisle. That's always what they want to do. We want to go look at the toy aisle. And I tell them just about every time, not every time, but most of the time I tell them, we can go look at the toys. I'm fine with that. But what do I tell them? We're not going to get anything right? We're not going to get anything. And they say, oh, I know, Father. We don't want anything. We just want to look. And I'm like, of course you do. Let's go to the toy. So we go to the toy aisle, right? So we walk down the toy aisle. And inevitably, you guys know how this works. What happens? Here's what happens. One of them sees a toy they like. And so, for example, this happened not too long ago. Leland, my, my, uh, second, uh, my second boy, he's five, year, five years old. He's into frogs right now. And when I say into frogs, I mean, this boy loves frogs, all right? Like, my family is into dogs. He is into, he loves frogs. So at the store the other day, he sees a toy frog, a rubber frog. And, and you guys know how this goes. He goes, dad, dad, it's a toy frog. It's a frog. And I'm like, yeah, buddy. And he's like, and he picks it up. He's like, look at it. Look at it, dad. It's a rug. He's awesome. He's cool. We could even name him Froggy. You know, he's showing him to me. He's like, he's got rubber arms. And I know where he's going with it. I'm like, yeah, that's great, buddy. Look at, look at that frog. That's cool. He's like, yeah. And then what does he say? Dad, can we get the frog? And I say, no, buddy. Told you before we got here, we're not going to get any toys today. And then what happens to him? Dad, the frog would make me so happy. 
If I had the frog, I would be so happy I wouldn't ask you for another toy ever again in the rest of my life if I could have the frog. Don't you want me to be happy, Dad? And of course, I have no mercy in my body at all. So I'm like, nope. (laughs) Put it away, buddy. We're not getting the frog. And then what happens? Existential despair. Oh, I guess I'll never get any toys ever. (laughs) You know? And I'm like, I guess not. And then he gets over it until we get to the next aisle. And what do we do at the store? Here's what we do at the store. Aisle by aisle, what am I doing? I am chopping down leafy plants. That's what I am doing at the store all day long. I'm like, that makes you happy? No, 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 no. Right? Now, why do I do that? Do I do that because I hate my children and I don't want them happy? No, 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 no. It's exactly the opposite. I do that because I want my kids not to have circumstantial happiness. I want them to have ultimate joy and satisfaction. I do that because if I, give, if I gave my kids everything that made them happy all the time, I would be creating monsters. They would be maladjusted in life. They would grow to be selfish and undisciplined, and they would be able to think about nothing else but themselves. See, what do I want for my kids, man? I want them to be disciplined. I want them to be mature. I, want the, I, I do want to give them good gifts. I do. I, and, I, and we do. They have plenty of toys. Right? That's not the problem. But, but I want them to be adjusted right. I want them to be thinking about more than themselves. I want them to come to a place where, where uh, they have the capacity to have compassion for someone else besides. That. That's what I want for them. And so because of that, sometimes I have to cut down leafy plants. And listen, with Jonah, God looks at him. He says, Jonah, your heart is so out of alignment with my heart. You are so self-absorbed and you are so self-consumed that the only thing that you're having, you just preached a five-word sermon to the worst and most monstrous city imaginable and the whole city just turned to God and you're not happy about that, but you're happy about a stupid plant? Jonah. And so God cuts the plant out. Why? Because he's showing grace to Jonah and, and he's inviting Jonah in to his heart. Why is it that God will sometimes cut leafy plants out of your life? Why is it that maybe for some of you right now, you're shaking your fist at God and saying, God, how dare you take that from me? Why is that? Here's why. Because God knows that that thing that you want so desperately does not have the ability to bear the weight of your hope. It does not. It makes a lousy God. And if, you, if you're putting your hope in these other things besides the one true God, you're always, always going to live on the brink of emotional, emotional breakdown. Always, always. You won't be a stable person and you won't be able to think outside of yourself and that's not what your heavenly father wants for you. And so God looks at Jonah and he says, Jonah, listen, your heart and my heart are very different and I want to invite you into my heart. And the reason I know that God is inviting Jonah into his heart is because of the very next part. Look at verse nine, uh, 10 and 11. And here, so here's what it says, verse 10 and 11. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, it died overnight. And should I not have been concerned for the great city of Nineveh, in which there's more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals, question mark, end of the book, right? It's a crazy ending. But you see what, how, God, how God finishes it. He says, Jonah, Jonah, he says, you were concerned about this plant. He says, you didn't do anything to make that plant grow. You did nothing. I made it grow. And he's like, Jonah, how much more should I be concerned about the Ninevites, these people who are created in my image, who I love, who I care about, who I cause to grow? How much more should I be concerned about them? Basically, he says, Jonah, look at what you care about and look at what I care about. 
Look at what you're concerned about and look at what I'm concerned about. He says, Jonah, they're not the same. Our hearts are incredibly different. We're very different. And I love how it ends too. He says, shouldn't I care about these Ninevites? And he goes, and also the animals, Jonah? Which by the way, that's actually supposed to be kind of funny. That's God almost being sarcastic. It's, he's, like, he's like, Jonah, shouldn't I, shouldn't I care about these people? Do you really want me to kill these people? And the animals, Jonah? Think about the animals. You really want me to kill little Bessie, the lamb, with her burlap outfit on back from chapter 3? You want me to just kill her? Jonah, you want me to kill her? Right. And it's kind of supposed to be comical. And, and, and it leaves open-ended because God is inviting Jonah into his heart. And you guys, in this passage, I think we actually have a third emotion that I want to point out too. God says, Jonah, you're concerned about the plant. I'm concerned about the city. And that word concern that you guys have in your Bibles is actually better translated um, to weep. Or here's the right way to say it, is to be anguished. The word concerned is actually pretty weak. In the original language, it's this idea to weep over something, to be greatly concerned or to be anguished over something. And so do you want to know if your heart is in the same place as God's heart? What are you anguished over? What do you weep over? What breaks your heart? That's probably the best way to say it. What breaks your heart? And God's saying, you know what breaks my heart? What breaks my heart is when there's people who are far from me, who who are in desperate need of grace, and who their eternal destination is hanging in the balance. That breaks my heart. God says, I look at the world, and I see the widow and the orphan, and I see the needs uh, in this way. And God says, that concerns me deeply. He says, Jonah, look at, what you're, look at what you're concerned about. Look at what you're anguished over. And look at what I'm anguished over. Are they even the same? Are they even the same thing? Here's what scares me a little bit. I'll just be honest with you guys. And, it's, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm in on this too. So I'm not at all, I'm not exempting myself from this. Here's something that scares me for those of us who are Christians. What scares me is that sometimes I wonder, what, what causes me more grief? Does it cause me more grief that there are people in my life, that there are people in my family, at my work, that there are people that are around me in my sphere of influence who are in desperate need for the gospel of Jesus Christ, who, who desperately need hope and their eternal destination hangs in the balance? Do, do I grieve more over that? Or do, honestly, or do I grieve more when I drop my phone in the toilet? And I just got to be honest with you guys, I'm scared of how I answer that question. What causes me more grief? I, I'm scared sometimes. What makes, us, what makes us more despair? But what causes more anguish and despair in our lives? Does it cause us more anguish when we see that the, the landscape of the world is that there, is, there are places where people are, have absolutely no hope? There, there's, there's, there's orphans and there's widows and there's, there's needs even in our community and in our world where there are people who do not have the basic things that they need. Does that, make me, does that bring me more anguish or do I have more anguish when I, when I wake up and I have a pimple on my nose on Sunday morning? And I got to be honest with you, sometimes I don't know the answer to that question. It scares me a little bit. Right? Um, sometimes I'm scared that maybe, maybe when do we pray more? Do we pray more when there's people in our lives who desperately need God and that we're desperate that they find God or do we pray more in the fourth quarter of the Cavs game when they're down? Because honestly, I think that that time frame is the time when Americans pray the hardest or at least those of us who live in Ohio, we pray 
the hardest, right? And listen, listen, please hear me. I am not at all trying to throw a guilt trip at you. That's not what I'm trying to do right now, right? I'm, I'm not saying to be a Christian means you have to just throw your phone away and live in a box for Jesus. That's what it means. That's not what I'm saying, right? That's not what this is saying. But all I'm saying is look at our heart and look at God's heart. And are we on the same page? Because what God does is he says, Jonah, I love you. I care about you. I want you to be like me. And so I want to invite you into my heart. I think God would look at us and he would say, I love you guys and I care about you guys. And I love you too much to leave you where you are. And I want to finish the good work that I started in you. And I want your heart to look like my heart. Because as long as your heart looks different, life is always going to be confusing. Life is always going to be frustrating. And it's never going to make sense. And so God invites us into his heart. Ask the band to come up. And as they do, I just want to close with a couple final thoughts. And then we'll, we'll be finished with the whole series in the book of Jonah. Um, but, but here's the question then. Okay, so if my heart is out of alignment with God's heart, then what do I do? What do I do with that? What do you do with a message like this? Well, I want to give you a few takeaways, all right? One of the things you can do, very, very simple, is you can pray. And you can ask God, God, my heart is out of alignment with your heart. And would you make my heart look more like your heart? That is a prayer that God is eager to answer. Now, you have to understand, if you're praying that prayer, it's very possible that God might chop down some leafy plants. But, but you'll understand that what he's up to is that he wants your heart to look like heart, your, his heart. And so maybe for you during this time as we sing and as we pray, you can do that. You can ask God, God, what makes you happy? I want what makes you happy to make me happy. What makes you despair? And whatever makes you full of anguish and the things that you're concerned over, make that what I'm anguished over and I'm concerned. God, make my heart like yours. You can ask God for that during this time. Here's something else practical you can do. One of the things that you guys may have known that we've been talking about here at the Medina East Campus is we've been saying that we really want to start partnering with local and global partnerships in our area, uh, looking out for, for different areas of the things that break God's heart. And so right now, there's two different partnerships that we have that we're partnered with, and there's information in the cafe that you can get connected with these things. So one of them is Oasis of Hope. Oasis of Hope is a local partnership that we've started here at the Medina East Campus. Basically, they work with expecting moms in, a, in situations where hope is hard to find. So th this is the kind of stuff that breaks God's heart. And so we want to partner with that. We want to say, we want to we we figure out how can we pray for, how can we support, how can we participate in the things that God is concerned about. Another one you're going to find out there is, uh, is something called Jaguza Children's Ministry. Jaguza Children's Ministry is basically a children's ministry that services orphans in Uganda. You guys, we sent a trip out there this last year to do some, just kind of do some preliminary work to figure out what's going on. Hope is hard to find there. And it breaks God's heart. And we said, we want to go where God's heart is because we want our heart to be like God's. And so out there, there's opportunities to figure out how to, how to pray and support in those ways, to get involved in different ways. And all of those are just designed basically to say, we want our heart to look like God's heart. So you can get connected to those things. And the last thing I'd say is this, is if you're a person that's investigating Jesus, you're not a Christian, you're trying to figure that out, here's what I want you to know. You want to know what breaks God's heart? What breaks God's heart is when we run from God. It breaks his heart. And you know what makes God so happy? What brings him the most joy is when we turn to him. And listen, when you turn, when you turn to God, you're going to find grace. And you're not going to find, God doesn't, God doesn't want to, God isn't disappointed in you. God doesn't want to destroy you. That's and, and contrary to what many Christians may have told you that have the heart of Jonah. The heart of God is not like the heart of Jonah. And so you can turn to him today. You can come to him because that brings him joy and he's waiting expectantly 
for that. Let's pray. Jesus, I just want to say thank you so much for this incredible book, the book of Jonah. And I pray, God, that as we close out this series, that you would make our hearts like your heart. Father, make us concerned for the things that you're concerned about. God, I pray that as we, as we look into our own hearts and we ask the questions, man, what makes us happy? What makes us angry? What makes us anguished? As we consider those questions, Father, that we would also be asking, God, what makes you happy? What makes you angry? What makes you anguished? And how can our heart look more like your heart? So, Lord, what I'm asking for is that you would transform our hearts and make us more like you. We need you, God. And by your spirit, we pray you do this work. We say thank you that, that, that you who saved us, you're going to complete the good work that you started. I'm thankful for that, God. So, Lord, fix our hearts. Make them more like yours. And we just want to pray these things. In Jesus' name.